0: Steve, you're assuming that these people shower. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Well, as I uh, said at the beginning, we've been going through this video series, and the the overarching question uh, that's being considered here is, what is our salvation for? What is our salvation for? And the answer being proposed is this, that the reason that we've been saved is for the life of the world. In other words, that our life would be a gift, would be a blessing to others, specifically to the people that uh, we live in in this city of St. Joseph. And so last week's fan, uh, video series focused on the topic of family. And it, it, it talked about the how are we doing at stewarding uh, this currency of love that we've all been given. And in that uh, video... The narrator, Evan, made this statement. He said, healthy families are the foundation for a healthy society. Healthy families are the foundation for a healthy society. So if that's true, in America, we might be in a little bit of trouble, right? I mean, because half of the marriages, you know, supposedly end in divorce. Um, even those people that are staying married, I would say that there's a fair amount of unhealthiness out there in, in marriages that are still together, uh, the, the rate of uh, folks that are just skipping marriage altogether and just cohabitating continues to grow and grow and grow. And so I'm not sure how many of our children here in America are growing up with a, a knowledge of what tr- true love looks like, especially not a self-sacrificial, uh, a covenantal love like Christ. And in the video last week, we met a family, um, and they had a business card, so they were serious. And they were thinking very intentionally about um, the messages that they were sending their kids and just basically what their family was all about. And so before I dive into my material today, I would love to hear from you um, how that that uh, video kind of hit you last week, watching this family that had put some intentional thought into kind of thinking about what their family's going to be about. How did that speak to you? What kind of questions or things that stirred up this week um, in your families or in your own mind? So anybody have any f- just feedback or thoughts from that time last week? Good Do, they're good communicators. And have that and have and okay. They and- yeah, everybody knew it. It was very clear. Okay. What else? Yeah. hmm yeah. And giving back everything that God had given to them.
1: Sure. And being gracious
0: about it. Okay, yeah, seeing their lives as a blessing, uh, definitely, to others. How about just how it spoke to you personally? Anything that stirred up in you as you watched it, made you think? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. So um, it was it was proactive instead of reactive, right? It was thinking about how do we want life to look, as opposed to just life's hitting us and we're kind of trying to respond or keep ourselves from drowning. Yeah. Okay. Okay. If you put it in writing, it can act as a visual to help kind of keep you on track, keep you focused. How many of you just honestly just felt like crap watching that? You're like, I don't have a business card. Thank you for your honesty, Sarah. I see that hand. All right. Yes. Guilt, shame. Right. You went home and dug a hole in the backyard and you know hid your hid your head for a while. All right. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you see folks that, you know, in theory it looks like me and they've got it together. I look at my life, and I'm like, man, I don't, I don't have it together like those people, right? Okay? So, all kinds of different reactions. Just kind of wanted to see where we were at. I wanted to share with you some findings. I, I went uh, on Google, and just typed in the phrase, um, kind of, how do you define a successful family? Just wondered what would come up. So, I found this report by the U.S. Uh, Department of Health and Human Services, and they had actually kind of combined a lot of different reports and research and kind of came up with a, a, a list of kind of common themes that people that researched uh, healthy or successful families, they tend to have these traits in common. So we're just going to put these up here kind of one at a time. So good families tend to have these things in common. One is just good communication, whatever that means, okay, that they, they at least communicate with one another. Secondly, good families spend time together, okay? Thirdly, they have clearly defined roles, Okay, so the parents kind of know what their responsibilities are, the kids kind of know what their uh, role is in the home, and there's not a lot of, you know, weird blending and mixing of, you know, the kids really being the parents, you know, kind of thing, and the parents acting like children, all right? So clearly defined roles. Um, next, they affirm each other. So everybody in the family really has this sense that everybody here, we are really for each other. Whether that means that you're just encouraging or you show up at other people's stuff and you make it a priority to be together. Okay, Um, they also have a shared spiritual faith. Okay, that may be Christianity, that may be something else, but that's just a a common theme. They worship together, and then the last one I thought was really interesting um, is that good families have the ability to cope with stress and overcome obstacles. So they've taught, you know, their children. They've modeled as parents. This is how we deal with adversity. That you know we're not victims. That you know we can rise above challenges that we have in life. So good families tend to to have those things. That's not an exhaustive list, but that's kind of uh, some that they found in their research, okay? So you can kind of rate yourself, you know, uh, how how good are you uh, at, at being an amazing family according to the U.S. government, okay? Now in the video that we watched last week, um, that family uh, that they, they, they showed, they had the business card. They had three kind of guiding values or three uh, yeah, the words that they had chosen to kind of represent and reflect um, about everything they did. And those three words were loving, encouraging, and blessing. Loving, encouraging, and blessing. And it's interesting to consider if we asked our children, or if you are children, if your parents asked you, to write down three descriptive words that would kind of define your family and what your family is about. What, what our children would say. And really, the deeper question is this, what are our habits communicating about what we value? Because really, more, it's more about what we do than what we say. Okay, not what we wish our kids would say, but what they really would based on the actions that they see in our life. That's kind of a scary thought, isn't it? We actually asked that question to a few Wellspring kids here and uh, to, to find out, what have you learned? The question we asked them was, what have you learned about love? by watching um, how your parents live. So this is what some of them had to say. So that's good news, right? There's a few families here that are doing some things, but um, I would venture to guess that that even though some of those families or kids are learning some things that uh, I doubt that many of them have a business card or that they've sat down and had an intentional conversation about some of these things that are happening, their kids are just catching these values by watching the way um, in which their parents live and and the way in which their parents are prioritizing their time, their resources, their relationships, emotions, etc. So, um, as we watched the video last week, one thing that really stood out to me was this whole idea of just being intentional, okay, which is something for me as a parent, um, I struggle with quite a bit. Um, I'm just guessing that a lot of you do as well. At least that's what I tell myself when I try to go to bed at night, right? Um, so, I want to just ask you guys this question. Why is being intentional with our family such a challenge? Why is being intentional such a challenge? What, what are some of our potential excuses that we like to use? Yeah, Sarah. Okay. And what's wrong with that? Why do you, why do you shy away from that? okay because it's harder yes so she said you know if you set a standard then you have to live up to it and you're kind of accountable to that if you say hey we're going to be about this and then you don't do it then you know you're a liar right and so she said it's just hard to set standards and aim for things okay it's a lot easier just to have no standard at all what else what other excuses do we like to use yes i'm sorry nick go ahead busyness Yeah, proactiveness takes time, right? And so we're just too busy to have the time to be proactive. All right, so we just kind of let life happen instead. What else? against culture to be, um, to be that way. Okay. What do you mean? Um, it, your family may look strange if you're intentionally just focusing on others and loving others because that's the opposite of what our culture is. Our culture is very selfish. Okay, yeah. Our culture is very selfish. Unless your stated values are, hey, it's all about us, right? Yeah, then it's all <laughs> then, then you're good, right? Okay. How much is it sometimes that we're just lazy? Yeah. Right? I mean, we can come up with all the excuses we want. Sometimes we're just lazy. We just don't do it, okay? So that's probably one of my biggest excuses right there. So um, being intentional takes time. Um, living out a, a set upon, agreed upon set of values takes a lot of vision casting. It, it takes a lot of... Um, coming back to things again and again, and evaluating your effectiveness and how are we doing at this, and um, it has to be, you know, any of you that have run a business or, or a boss, it's tough. In order to get values to stick, they have to be drilled in, and they have to be drilled in primarily not through words, but through our actions and our shared experience that our kids can see, okay, if this is what you say we value, but this is what I see about the way we live. Those things don't jive. And so the experiences have to, have to you know, reassert the values that we say that we're about. So being intentional. Another theme that came to the surface for that family watching this video was this idea that they were just ordinary people, okay? And in the video they said, guys, we are not special because we have a business card with some values written on it, okay? They said we're just ordinary. And that family didn't, you know, pack up and, and head to Africa to be missionaries. They weren't pastoring churches or leading uh, big important ministries. They were just doing life in their community, just day in and day out, ordinary life. But the problem is, is that ordinary doesn't really sell today, right? When, you, when I was thinking of some of the just big books in, in the Christian realm that have been out there the last few years, you see a lot of words like radical and wild and crazy Right? If you just throw that adjective in the front of something, you probably might have a chance to sell a book. Right, That's kind of the, the realm that we're living in. And those are good books, and God is using them to do great things. So I'm not saying that, that that's not happening. But this past week, I came across this book review in Christianity Day that I thought was interesting. The book that's being reviewed is, is titled Ordinary, Sustainable Faith in a Radical, Restless World. And, and the author's name is Michael Horton. And here's what the uh, review pointed out. A couple different things. It says, Horton argues that the underlying theology behind oft-heard calls to be wild and crazy radical believers, as if Christianity were an extreme sport, is works righteousness in a new consumerist mode. For some time, radical has been a favorite word of advertisers and ideologues alike. Every website with something to sell now routinely promises a transformative experience. Instead of another call to be radical, extraordinary, or transformative, Horton would have us return to the ordinary means of grace, those practices of the church in which God has promised to make himself known, preaching the gospel, teaching the faith, administering the sacraments, and worshiping with a local congregation. Instead of advertising life-changing experiences or the next big thing, the aim is a sustainable faith for the long haul. The great strength of being ordinary, after all, is that you can do it for a lifetime. Later on, he says this. In a similar vein, we are often reminded that radical means getting to the root of things. That's where it comes from the Latin word. Radix means root. But a good gardener, in one of his illustrations, does not keep pulling everything up by the roots and moving it around. You need to stay put for a while, untransformed, if you are to grow. It's like being married, in that the key virtues are faithfulness and constancy not radical transformation. Or consider one of the great vignettes in the book which illustrates Horton's point that ordinary doesn't mean mediocre. A passerby once stopped a massive construction site and asked what everybody was doing. Hauling dirt, replied one. Cutting stones, said another. Building a cathedral, said a third. All true. For the only way to build a beautiful church is to do a great deal of mundane, unglamorous labor. And to do it conscientiously and well. The impatient desire to be radical and extraordinary to hasten the coming of the next big thing interrupts the humble work required to accomplish something excellent. I thought that was interesting. I haven't read the book, <laughs> just heard about it, um, but I do think there are some really valid points here about the importance of faithfulness and constancy. Uh, of focusing on the sometimes just humble work of tilling up the soil of our family's hearts so that they can be ready uh, to, to hear this, this message uh, and be able to, to receive the seeds that we might have for them about how to live and reflect the love of Christ in the day, out, day in and day out grind of just being a family or in a bigger picture of being the church family, uh, the family of God. And as I thought about this more, there was a deeper thought process that was coming to mind for me. Because, you see, this is something more than just picking out a few key words and a Bible verse um, and and declaring our family is going to be about this. Because there's a heart issue that's at the root uh, of all of this. That's important for us to to, to be explored constantly. In order for the seeds of intentional Christ-like family values to take root and grow, the soil of our heart has to be receptive. And it, it, it reminded me of a, a passage of scripture from Colossians 3, I want you to turn to, if you could. And it's this imagery of, of putting on and taking off. Colossians 3, it's page 822 in your Pew Bibles. Colossians 3, starting in verse 1, says this. says, "'Since then you've been raised with Christ. "'Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, "'seated at the right hand of God. "'Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. "'For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. "'When Christ, who is your life, appears, "'then you also will appear with him in glory. "'Put to death, therefore, "'whatever belongs to your earthly nature.'" "'Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. "'Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. "'You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, "'but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, "'anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. "'Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices "'and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator.' So Paul begins this section by saying, guys, listen, I want you to set your hearts and minds on things above, okay, not on things of this earth. And then he gets very practical, very practical, and he says this, you need to put some things to death. Some of your old ways of thinking, your old ways of living, that old person you used to be. And then he gives some examples Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is adultery. And he says you need to, in addition to putting those things to death, you need to rid yourself of these things. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, and lying. Man, that's a lot of stuff, isn't it? And those fleshly, sinful habits that we all struggle with, those aren't a one-time decision to stop doing, right? It's not like we look at this and we say, oh man, Paul, you are right. I shouldn't be doing those things. From right now, on this point on, I'm not going to do any of those things for the rest of my life, right? If you're like me, struggles with self-control and struggles and battles with my flesh, you understand that this is a daily, a daily battle that we fight. This war between our spirit and our flesh of who we want to be and how we want to act and ridding those things from my life is, is just a daily, ongoing thing. And every day I have to examine my heart. I have to open myself up to God and say, God, show me where I'm not living the way I should, where I'm exhibiting these qualities that I'm supposed to be getting rid of. And Holy Spirit, come and fill me in a way that I can live like you want me to live, okay? Just like that song we just sang, God, I want more of you, pour it out, man. I want more of you and less of me, right? So every day we're called to set our hearts and minds on things above, to put off and rid ourselves of some of those fleshly old habits so that we can put on What? The Paul says this, he says, clothe yourselves, which literally means put on, with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other, forgive one another as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Be thankful, encourage one another, teach one another. And finally, at the very end there, he says, whatever you do, by word or deed, Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's powerful if we could just do that, right? But you see, our problem too often is that we want to put our efforts into the easier work. Here would be a really poor application from today's message, okay? This is what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to go home and have a family meeting, sit the kids down, Right? And say, hey, kids, we're going we're gonna to come up with our family motto, our mission statement. Right? We're going to get this thing figured out. I'm not going to be one of those poor losers at church like those other people. Right, They're going to be making a video about our family one day. All right, So we're not going to do that. We're not gonna, you know, Mom's not going to then make the, the crafty, nifty document that we're going to frame and put up on our dining room wall so that you know, at dinner we can point to it and say, remember, that's what we're about. And people come over for dinner and, hey, look at our family motto. And, yeah, we're doing this. Don't get me wrong, there's a lot of families that aren't doing those things, so that might be a step in the right direction, but if in addition to that, we don't also begin addressing the fleshly sin in our own heart that keeps us from living out those values, then we're missing the whole point. Because in order to put on things like loving, encouraging, blessing, and pour those out, we have to rid ourselves of a whole mess of things in our life. And the ordinary daily process of caring and, and, and for and gardening our soul has to take a, a prime importance in our life. It has to be something that our kids see us doing. Our kids need to see us examining our hearts and being honest with them and say, "Guys, listen, I've been failing." And a lot of times when I fail, I fail with my kids. You know, I'm sarcastic to them or judgmental or whatever it might be. Selfish. And I need to confess to my kids. I need to say, man, dad's working on some stuff. You know, God's revealing some things in my heart that I don't like. And I, I need you to know that, that I'm, I'm taking care of those things. And we need to teach our children how to do that as well. This putting off and, and putting on putting off those qualities you know, that are damaging and sinful and, and putting on these things that are from God, fruits to the Spirit. This is a simultaneous process. And so I don't want you to think that you first have to focus on all the things you're supposed to get rid of before you can you know, put on kindness compassion. Those things can be happening together and often will. And a lot of times we're the person we don't want to be and the person we want to be at kind of the same time you know, and God reveals something new, and, and you put it off, and you're putting on these new things, and you're seeing more of Christ in you, but you're frustrated at, at all that, and, and like soil, life is messy, and in any garden, there's going to be beautiful flowers and weeds popping up in the same garden, right, because all it takes is one overnight, and all of a sudden, you're like, where did that weed come from, right, and, and you've got to go out, and you've got to pick it. And and the beautiful and the destructive often coexist in the same garden. And if we don't take care of the destructive, pretty soon the destructive takes over the beautiful, right? An untended garden will destroy. And we all come from various family backgrounds. And, um, you know, in your own marriage, you might have a spouse who grew up with just kind of a mess of a family. And you might have another spouse. Maybe you married into somebody who had a pretty healthy family family. And beginning to have conversations where you talk about what does it mean for us to kind of merge those two experiences into something that as a couple we're excited about. Because I can tell you, just from friends I even talked to this week, you know, those of us that that had kind of a little bit more messy family background, like I said last week, we kind of settle for just things being good. And then that person who had maybe some really intentional parents is always like, well, come on, let's, this can be more than this. Let's go. And then and, and this person over here can be kind of frustrated, like they're never doing enough, and this person's got these high expectations, and it's hard to blend those things sometimes, right? But whatever your family history is, as there is hope for you, because Jesus, by his nature, enters into messes. John chapter 1, it says that the word, Jesus, became flesh, And he moved into the neighborhood. And Jesus did not come to simply condemn. He didn't come to just point out what a mess our lives are and how messed up we are and how far we fall short. He came to show us a way through the mess to the abundant life that he wants for us. So he wants to meet us wherever we are in the midst of our junk. And he wants us to take us to a new place, take our families or us individually but he wants to do it by shaping our heart, shaping our character, not just by giving us you know, catchy things we put on a mission statement. It's an internal work that's gonna yield the things we wanna see. And in the midst of that often discouraging process of change, we have to remember some things. Right in the midst of all of that that we just read in Colossians 3 is this amazing verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, Holy and dearly loved. That's our identity. As children of God, we are holy and dearly loved, and that doesn't change based on our perceived uh, awesomeness at having our family leadership go well, and you know, being clear and being intentional. It doesn't change if we do that well or we do it poorly. We're loved by God. That's our identity. But when God chose a family, and the Old Testament, he chooses this group of people, the Hebrew nation, and he chooses a particular husband and wife, Abraham and Sarah, to begin that nation. He says, guys, I'm gonna bless you so that you can be a blessing to others. And as followers of Christ, as people of a particular family, for me, the Miller family, as a, a people who are a part of a particular family, church family, wellspring. Guys, our calling, our mission is the same. Be a blessing to other people. God is going to bless us so that we can be a blessing to others. Now, what I hope you got out of my message today was that we need to attend to our hearts. That is the key starting point for cultivating this garden of our family, rooting things out, okay? But, Without looking at that, I do want you to take this opportunity, and not today, but as the week goes on, in the inside of your pews, if you could pass those little blank business cards down the row, if you could reach those and pass those out to people in your row, that would be awesome. Everybody should have one of these here. I want you to use these, these this week. And husbands, fathers, this is on you to be proactive. It's on me, as I'm saying this out loud right now, to lead your families in some discussions. You know, if you have kids, great, bring them into the process. If you're an individual, that's fine too. You can talk about what you want your life to be, okay? It doesn't have to be in the context of a family. But I want you to ask yourself some clarifying questions. Are there some values that we hold very dear as a family that are important to us? And these might have been things that kind of naturally you are about, but say them out loud. Let your children say them out loud. Let them be a part of the ownership of who their family is going to be. Is there a verse or a passage that could serve as your guide? a great discussion to have uh, with your family. And especially in thinking of terms of just living out the ordinary faithful part of your life and listen this is this is why we do this i think this is a very good practical application here is when we've settled on something that we're really excited about as a family some values maybe a scripture that'll help guide our thoughts is that that becomes a filter for us and so then what happens is when you have opportunities that come along for you as an individual for your kids for your family you take that opportunity and you run it through the filter of your agreed-upon values, and you say, okay, there's this opportunity, and it could even be a good opportunity for a job at another town or to serve here in the church in some way or whatever it might be, a promotion, and you look and you say, okay, we've said that our values are, just using their example, loving, encouraging, blessing. Is this opportunity gonna help us do that more? Or is it gonna make us so busy that we're probably gonna be distracted from doing these things that we said we're gonna be about? And maybe it was something that we need to say no to, even though it's good. Maybe it's going to take up too much time. Maybe the stress of it's going to be too much for me to kind of keep focused on the things that are right. Maybe it's going to take me away from my kids too much to, to focus on them. Whatever it might be, it becomes a filter for us. So that we don't just get caught up in the stream and just be reactive to things, but we're proactive. And ultimately we do all of this, this intentional, this ordinary work, so that others might come to know Christ. That our life, our families, our children would reflect the image of Jesus. And when people are around us, when people are around our families, they would want to say, man, what's different about them? And that we would be able to share what Christ has done in our life. Today, we're going to take communion here at the end of our time. And um, communion's intentional. Right, God had a plan for how all this was going to go. And that plan involved his son laying down his life so that you and I might have the opportunity to be forgiven, have eternal life. But then there was also this intentional practice set up that Jesus got together with his disciples and he said, guys, whenever you break bread and you share wine, you do it in remembrance of me. Remember the self-sacrificial love that I had. Remember the unity that I desire for all of us to have. And use that as an encouragement, a reminder for you every time you do it about who God has called us to be, a blessing to other people. So I'm going to give you some time to pray. Um, and the, the ushers will dismiss you. You can come up and partake of the bread and the wine. You can tear it off, dip it in the cup. If you need gluten-free, there's some crackers up here to do that as well. So join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time this morning. To kind of take a look at family and and this currency of love that you've entrusted us with. And you've asked us to steward it well, to do a good job with that. And God, we live in a country that doesn't steward that very well. As a matter of fact, they're really haphazard with it. and, And in a lot of ways, really destructive with this currency of love. And so we as followers of Christ have an opportunity to be intentional, to to, to think about what we want our life to be about, what do we want our family to be about. And, and God, I just think about those kids that we saw in the video last week with this family, is that those, those values, loving, encouraging, blessings, have been drilled into their hearts to the point where they were then acting out on that and being blessings to others. And, and from that one set of parents, now one day there's gonna be three of their children that are gonna go out and marry other people, and they're gonna take that DNA of being intentional to their families So that now there's four families that are living on mission with you, God. And God, it just spreads from there. And so as we create new normals, I pray that there would be this new normal of just being intentional, being proactive, thinking about who we want to be as a person, what we want our families to be about, and sticking to those things, doing the hard work of rooting out the sin in our lives. So maybe this morning, God, as as we come and we think about what needs to be put off and put on that some of those things maybe that we read today would come to mind and we might need to confess those things and just make those things right before you. So we give you this time to hear hear our prayers, hear our confession, but also for us to hear from you.